This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. We're going to touch on something that has been pretty divisive over the last week or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the magic community, and basically just going to be covering what it means. And that, of course, is the Walking Dead secret lair. So we're going to cover three basic areas, just to give you a little structure on the episode. We're going to tell you what it means for vendors, what it means for players, and what it means for collectors, in our humble opinions. Mm. So with that, let's get started. Anyway. Uh, so something I, I had to verify uh, earlier in the week was, when it comes to the secret layers. There's, just like the Mythic Editions, there's no preferential treatment for this. Vendors have to get in the scrum with everybody else. But for Secret Layers, the cap is much higher than it was for the yep. Mythic Editions. So vendors do get to play the market a little bit if they so choose when it comes to something like this. When you look at people who are going to be fairly agnostic or large vendors, it really comes into whether or not they think they're going to be able to turn this stuff for a profit at $50, depending on if they want to do pre-orders or even entertain this idea at all. So it's kind yeah. of a six to one, half a dozen to another on whether you even want to move in. Uh, you know, Not all of these move. Sometimes you just don't want to allocate even the couple hundred here when you could be allocating it towards another product. So it really is going to be if you find some sealed from vendors, that's fine. I wouldn't expect it, but there will be singles available in time because these will go up on buy lists there will be numbers for them because there will be a secondary market for them these will move you know players to player player to player so uh as a vendor uh you know a small guy i could probably see myself picking up uh a a few sets just to hold and flip almost immediately to people who weren't able to get into the drop or whatever i don't think i would crack them as an individual vendor and as a large vendor, I would probably split my order. If I'm able to get a, a large enough number, I might crack a yeah. bunch of them. Because the singles are worth it for the most part. I think three of them are pretty good. Uh, Rick, who is mono-white, buffs all humans, which uh, does kind of lend itself to legacy playability. Um, Glenn at one, white, blue, one, three with Skulk. And whenever Glenn does damage, you draw that many cards. Damage to a player, you draw that many cards. And then there was a third one that I, that looked pretty good. I can't remember what it is. The bat looks pretty decent. That got that got leaked. Yeah, a specialty card. Yeah. So I. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was I gonna say so. You might actually have to have a real price on these cards because some of them might show up somewhere i think glenn is a really kind of a good aggressive commander in yeah azor better than zur because you can just you don't have to worry about the black component in the deck you don't have to with zur anyway but you know um skulk can be worse than flying because of how that keyword works with buffing his uh, glenn's power and i think rick does nothing for edh I, I i don't think he's good there i think rick is uh for humans in legacy possibly and even modern uh, no, no, it's not modern legal. Remember, oh, that's right. Never legacy yeah. vintage EDH, right? right? So uh, either a legacy humans, if they if that deck needs a little more high end because it can play eight soul lands. Um, but yeah. and I thought maybe D and T, but that deck's been tearing it up with the same seventy four seventy five since uh, Zendikar released on Moto. So not there yeah. right now, but possibly. 
Glenn, I tossed around the idea of maybe Azor Stone Blade, maybe a Stasis deck, uh, not yeah. Standstill deck. And if either of them hit, then that puts a real price tag on them. Yeah. And I, you know, I think Michonne is going to be one of your casual EDH cards. Same with Daryl. Yep. Those are, they'll have their price tags. And I think it's worth noting, too, that what a lot of backpackers and smaller vendors have done when these drops happen is, you know, they'll cap out their allocation at one address and get with a couple friends and get a couple over there as well. Yep. And I think that that's worth noting on this. The cap is 30. So I would expect, you know, immediately when they first start shipping, this retails for 50. You'll see it in Facebook groups for 75, 80 mm -hmm. shipped. And I think that that's, I think that's the easy play for a lot of people. I think for me, I would rather hold on to like five or six of them mm -hmm. because I think that long-term these cards, you know, as we'll talk about when we get to the collectors, we'll have a very good long-term like financial ceiling. Yes. Very, very good. Yeah. It's uh, just, the, from the vendor perspective, it's kind of weird because you're working with an IP that uh, is both in TV and a graphic novel form. So it's like, it, it has its long-term hold. Uh, something yeah. else that was interesting that I saw float by, uh, the company, the distribution company that Hasbro bought a bunch of months ago that had Peppa Pig and uh, Death Row Records also yep. had the distribution licensing for The Walking Dead. They didn't have like the IP style licensing, but they had the distribution. Distribution, for it, which is weird. Yep. So there was a, a bit of a connection there, and supposedly the rules committee knew that this was coming uh, for a while. So it it kind of lends itself to the thought that maybe uh, there's more coming down the pipe. These purchases by Hasbro of these seemingly innocuous organizations or IPs might find their way to light through something like magic or hascon style promos for other things i'm just gonna let you know i'm here for the dr dre secret lair yeah that's all i'm saying if we get a death row crossover all is forgiven watsy i will take my money secret Sorry. lair the chronic 2020 yeah that would be great yeah <laughs> uh yeah. but yeah i i think that it's and it's kind of interesting because on this stuff, this this is a bit of a longer drop as well. Mm -hmm. uh, this goes from until the 12th. So we have a week even from today still. Now it's not shipping out until January, February of next year. So you are going to have to, you know, figure out what the right amount to get is. Because if you're like me, you don't want to hold on to anything longer than it takes to turn it into cash and then turn cash into more cards. Yeah. And I think it's worth noting that you know, with that kind of a turnaround and the production delays we've already seen, you may be looking at like March, April, May before this actually shows up. You know, it, it could be another Mythic Edition debacle where they mess it up so badly they have to send out foil sheets or something. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Yeah. But something to keep in mind, I think, when you're looking at this, although I do think for vendors it is, I I think it's gold. It's EDH stuff that they're going to love. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's it's good yeah i uh, think absolutely i think the the secret layer as a whole seems decent for um for vendors some of the the other aspects of the secret layer uh, you know buying an ip or licensing an ip rather for use for products like this that do contain unique cards with unique effects does begin to kind of 
worry me about what am I going to have to pay attention to now as a vendor? What am I going to have to start allocating my funds differently? What is my buy strategy going to be for stuff like this? Am I going to have to be super aggressive with my, my buy lists as soon as this stuff goes up? And that is really the only thing that concerns me as, as a vendor. Um, yeah. And I, and I, Oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. All you. Uh, I was going to say, I, I also think it's interesting that this touching on that, it kind of opens up the aspect of, like you said, this is a graphic novel and a television series and a lot of stuff. So this may be something that you hold for like dragon con. Yeah. And you go to like a pop culture convention where you have a booth and you know, you can just destroy by doubling and tripling your money as long as it's still a relevant property. And that's the interesting thing is you can't do a Game of Thrones secret lair now because nobody cares. That mm-hmm. That's dead. Yep. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, I'm removed from the television show, but the graphic novels are fine, uh, how relevant this is going to be when release hits. Because oh, yeah. four years ago, this would have been insane in the height of the Walking Dead hype. And like you said, this is almost something else that you have to, like, keep an eye on. Well, you know, I'm going to get it, sure, but how many do I really want to sell? How many? How quick is it going to go? How popular is this IP? Yeah. And that's a concern that vendors haven't really had to deal with before. Because, you know, something like Godzilla, there's a decent amount of crossover between kaiju fans and magic players, and it's just big, dumb lizards. Yep. Which, at the end of the day, is very thematic of magic. True. Uh, and while zombies are in magic, I, we don't get guns and stuff. Yeah, it... That, that definitely provides a unique aspect. We've got a blunderbuss here or there from the original Innistrad, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Of note, though, I think we've had, like, two pseudo-artist series secret layers with the, um... I don't know what the name... The, the, the tattoo series. I forgot. Yeah. The American Art or whatever it was. It has, like, the Ink Moth Nexus and Eternal Witness Pithing Needle. Then yeah. we have the Ratfink-style art in Secret Layer Ooze. That and, was great. Yeah, no, I, I bought into that one. Then we had the IPs in Godzilla and The Walking Dead. This could become, you know, our theme. You know, year after year, we'll have two secret layers in a row that represent something specific, some specific theme for Watsi. And if it's IPs, it's IPs. I mean, Hasbro owns a ton. They can do whatever they want. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the big problem that kind of trickles through or is a common thread from players to vendors to collectors is really what does buying an IP mean for licensing an IP mean for this and it was a little more harsh for collectors than anyone else because initially we had no talking points surrounding what is the future of these cards if they're unique mechanics and they're located in only this one product now collectors have to figure out okay as somebody who collects this stuff for value, should I be holding on to this? Will they get crushed later? Will this stand tall on its own? Or will they get to be other cards similar to the Godzilla printing where it's just a different name but all the mechanics are the same? And it was like two to three days of just rampant speculation and dumpster fire on Twitter from players and collectors alike trying to figure this out. And eventually we got, like, some walk back from uh, Maro, who basically said, okay, these aren't silver borders because I don't like silver borders. Yeah. And uh, these 
while these don't have the Godzilla skins, they technically do have the Godzilla skin because whenever we want to reprint these as an actual magic card, we will just give it a magic name and dunk on the rest of this card. So the only thing unique about it will be the art, the name, and the hollow foil at the bottom being that triangle that I had up earlier. And I, I think it's worth touching on that, you know, when you talk about how it also affects, because that, that's unique because it affects players, it affects collectors, and it affects vendors. Uh, because this is something that, you know, a lot of times as a vendor, you deal with so many cards and you're like, oh, is that that five mana take an extra turn spell? And that's how you remember something. Yeah. You remember it by the effect. Uh, like Temporal Mastery, that's the Miracle Extra Turn card. That's how I always remember time walk. it. Yeah. yeah, Miracle Time Walk. That's all it is. And this kind of adds a little wrinkle to that, because now it's not like the Godzilla, where it was effectively the same card. Mm -hmm. It's something entirely different, which ostensibly, as you touched on, for collectors down the line is going to demand a much higher price tag. Because we get this seven-day print window, and that's it. Yep. And if they reprint it in a Magic product later... You know, they can reprint it as much as they want, but because of licensing and everything, and I love that, you know, Mero cites in his blog post, which we'll link, uh, putting extra names on them was aesthetically unattractive. That's why they did it. Not because of licensing restrictions or anything, but because it looked ugly. Have you looked at how some of these cards look? I don't think ugliness has anything to do no. with magic card design. Because <laughs> they've... That ship That's is out sale. the window, yeah. Oh, the template looked weird. Well, you did it once already. Who the F cares? Yeah. Um, but I, I think that, you know, this is something where collectors, that a little bit, yeah. you know, not getting the Godzilla treatment is huge mm -hmm. because it creates almost a time-shifted set of these cards. Yeah. Eventually, some of these are going to get reprinted. I think that's inevitable just based on the evolution of magic. This stuff is going to be reprinted because the cards are going to get better. Mm -hmm. And not having access to them means, all right, well, I want access. Yes. So with that, that's bad for collectors. You kind of want to get in probably, assuming it ships on time, late January, early February, when you've got peak saturation out there. Mm -hmm. And for vendors, that's bad because it's, you know, one other thing to keep track of. And two, do you want to wait for singles or do you want to get it on sealed? Not that I think this is a bad product for vendors or those are necessarily no. like that's part of a vendor's job. That's what you do. Yes. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's not like the list problem with mystery boosters, which is worth an episode on its own. Uh, but I, I think that's something that for collectors is going to be kind of a draw for this product. Mm-hmm. The fact that these are unique, that we're not getting, you know, Negan ever again. We're not getting Daryl. Yeah. It's just not happening. Yep. Uh, yeah, it, it provides a, a neat twist and getting it as its own product as opposed to its counterpart in the same packs, a la the Godzilla stuff, makes it a little more uh, enjoyable. You just have to figure out, is it, is it worth sitting on this, you know, if you want to take the hit on however much it costs for however long you need to sit on it to turn a profit. You know, right whenever they yeah. drop, once once it starts shipping and people start receiving them, you know, you're going to be able to make money hand over fist if you bought in, uh, uh, like, a, in an absurd amount. You can just make infinite in those first couple of weeks. After that, it, the collectability is still there. It's just now you're sitting on an actual timeline. Um, running through this, like, the last thread for players, the same uh, threat is the wrong word here, so I'll put it in quotes. 
about what this represents is the same as it is for collectors, which is, okay, this is going to happen. Do I actually have to buy into this because there are going to be cards here that I'll need? There will be another true name nemesis here. Yeah. It'll be another monocrypt. You know, and it's a little worrisome. So that's where the question of, well, why weren't these silver bordered comes from? You did it with the Hascon set. You did it with the My Little Pony set. And you can just rule zero these into your commander group if yeah. you want. Why not silver border? Okay. Well, if not silver border, then please explain why we are going to get mechanically unique cards in secret layers. Is this going to be a trend? How, are, how will you fix this if these cards do become highly playable in in these formats and that kind of that ember burned yeah f- uh, longer than anything else and it, it inspired even uh what is it, the original art director yeah jasper. jasper to come out and basically yeah. say like hey look uh we used to joke about doing bullshit like this because it meant we were going to be grasping at straws and just milking our whales and we would never do something like this as a company just because of player pushback to this kind of crap compounding this is this is only available is it north america europe so south america africa and apac won't get them right yeah so that means they have to be imported now so that has playability ramifications for constructed formats because legacy is still played throughout the world vintage is still played throughout the world it got the rules committee for commander to weigh in on this and there's a tweet out there by sheldon menry that says if you don't think i've left a me-sized footprint in marrow's backside about this you would be wrong and they deliberated about this for several days and tossed around the idea of banning them solely on availability the moment like the second card hit that's how worried they were about their players and their player base and like that just sparked flame and i i think it's interesting that for those of you that keep up with magic twitter which i wouldn't ever recommend it's awful uh the captain format was spawned from this because people were so upset that Sheldon said, no, these are legal. We're going to allow them. We we don't want to restrict them, availability, whatever. And I, I agree to the point that availability shouldn't impact the format because cards like Time Twister are legal. Dual lands are legal. These are all things that affect are affected by availability. And a lot of times, you know, it, a dual land is kind of important to a lot of decks. Yep. People may not think so, but that efficiency is huge. And I applaud him for that. But, you know... It, it's interesting to see that we're now at a point where products like this are creating such a schism in the community that they're fracturing off to try to make their own formats again. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, in the past we had like frontier and stuff like that, but that wasn't because things were so bad, you know, that they were like, Oh, I don't like the direction this is going. I'm out. It was literally just people were bored and were like, well, let's use these old cards. This is fun. And that's something else to worry about with players, because now you have to worry about, does this stuff fracture my player base? And as an LGS, you have to worry, well, do I, do I want to carry this? Do I want to get a couple and sell them in store? Because, you know, my players may be upset enough with me that they'll go to another store. And it, it'll be interesting to see, especially with, you know, 
as the rules committee evolves and things change for EDH, you know, who knows, we may get a separate CEDH format one day, we may not. Uh, that diversification and that separation is going to be very interesting to see from a player standpoint. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, the the thing that worried me the most about as a player of this game was if they're buying or licensing, I keep saying buying, if they keep, if they're licensing this IP and they're all too happy to tell us that they're going to put mechanically unique cards in there and it's going to be playable in EDH legacy vintage, by the way, they never need to say playable and legacy and vintage in any of these fucking announcements. They don't support the fucking formats. It's just wasted breath. But I have to pay very, as a player, does still play Legacy, I have to pay attention to these stupid things because if they're going to contain uh, mechanically unique cards, I need to buy my true name Nemesis before they go to $100 a piece when, if the decks are still available or the secret layers are still available. Yeah, That worries me because I have to pay more attention to everything. I'm going to spend way more out of pocket just to try and uh, keep up. And it means that at any point they want to start dropping more secret layers, it could just be IPs, you know, willy-nilly. Yeah. And letting... I mean, that wouldn't be bad. I thought and that. they could eventually start tainting the rest of the game because they have to build these cards to be fairly thematic. You're going to break something somewhere eventually with this stuff. And I'm going to have to be there to ensure that I can... Like, reap the benefits of your idiocy by being able to compete with this stuff. You're also creating... It, and everything I just said is because I have the ability to buy into this hobby. There are people yeah. that can't do that. There are people that are able to play EDH and Legacy just barely with what they have. Now, if they can no longer compete, and I'm going to use that, I'm going to put that word in quotes because if EDH is a competition to you, you should probably be playing CEDH. And it the will. Format of champions. Yeah. It will end certain people's ability to play those formats because they will just get run out. They will no longer have fun because they can no longer, lo no longer compete, all because an IP was bought. Licensed, damn it. All because an IP was licensed. <laughs> They had to build cards to satisfy, yeah, you know, some marketing directive about this. Check a bunch of boxes, and now we have some ridiculous thing that that has to be played in these formats because it's just too good not to. That's my concern yeah. as a player. I that's my chiefest concern as well. Uh, is that you're going to be priced out, not just like, and and. Being priced out is fine, whatever, that exists. But the fact that you're being priced out by a known stringent supply issue. And it's not like reserve list. Yeah. Like yeah. look. Hey, you don't want to buy a twister, you don't have to play Storm. You don't want to buy a Lotus, you don't have to play Vintage. Uh you don't want to buy UCs, fine. You don't have to play a UC deck in Legacy. Yeah. But like yeah. this this is something that they're knowingly in actively engaging in the secondary market and you can call it what you want they can say they're not the second they started printing secret layer they were engaged in the secondary market and that's something that for me both as a player and a vendor is very concerning 
Uh, because, you know, unlike some people, I do look at this game as kind of an investment vehicle, not just a hobby. And I, I that's that's worrisome to me. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, absolutely. I think the the purposeful the purposeful uh, limitations placed around supply of these products is very important to remember no matter how you look at these products no matter yeah. if, if you're looking at it as a player as a collector or as a vendor you have to remember the fact that Watsy is purposefully keeping the supply on this stuff low it's not like judge promos where they just make where they used to make infinite of them and stack them to the ceiling and give them out more than once because they just felt like it these things don't come around again unless they tell a card to, to turn the money printer on. Yeah. Speaking of which, I have seen a lot of sealed Mana Crypt packets coming available mm. lately. I've been hearing Just that. Worth worth noting for anyone that's looking for one. Uh, <laughs> Such a weird thing to think about. Right. I'd assume they're flying in from Europe at this point because I've only yeah, seen one in the U.S. But yeah. Yeah. That, that's a thing. Oh boy. Shall we pick it? Oh, I'm ready to go. Uh, do you want to All go right. first this week? I think I went first last week. Uh, yeah, you did go first last okay. week. All right. Um, I'm going for a new one. RTRTZ Fastland Expo Foils. That's a mouthful. But basically, when you look at stuff like Sea Chrome Coast, Blackleaf Cliffs, Dark Slick Shores, stuff like that, uh, and you look at historically how the pack foils have fared financially and then you look at these expeditions and the foils specifically and how they're doing financially i think these are incredibly undercosted right now there's a lot of them out there because people are opening a lot of return to zendikar as vendors mm -hmm. to try to get good expeditions and because of it you have something like you know i would say dark uh black leaf cliffs but i'm not going to use that example because that does have a tiered modern deck that it's in. Mm -hmm. But if you take a look at Pack Foil Sea Chrome Coast, as okay. of Monday, October 5th, market foil is 2190. Now, as of today, the market foil for the Sea Chrome Coast Expo is $20. It is less money, it is an actual chase card with presumably a little bit less scarcity. And it's something that people, when you want singletons, you tend to go for the full arts. You tend to go for the flashy stuff You're, when it's available. Yep. So I think that long-term, picking these up, even at retail now, is not a bad move. Uh, you know, Black Leave is its own kind of beast. I love that card. I still think it's a good buy, but it might not be for everyone. Whereas a card like Sea Chrome Coast or even Dark Slick Shores is very good now it's worth noting that with these ones specifically uh with the mirrodin ones they are plain specific so getting a reprint of these especially in foil seems unlikely whereas like spire bluff canal is generic enough that it doesn't really matter um but i just think these are a great buy i think in about six to eight months once we've moved on to another standard set and we hit the next line of production issues I think these easily take the route that the old expeditions did, where you have some of the filter lands reaching 70, 80 bucks now. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think that's great. No, I, I like these. Um, anytime they're able to reprint the fast lines, it's always worth reevaluating because, generally speaking, aside from Blackleave right now, almost all of them pop up at some point in modern. Razor, Razor Ridge Thicket has been in various Gruel and Jundex. 
not Razor Bridge, sorry, Copperline Gorge. Razor yeah, Bridge Copperline. goes in Abzan, uh, Pod, uh, historically, because they need the extra mana. Dark Slick sometimes shows up in Fairies, but where you'll see Dark Slick and Seachrome Coast more often than not is actually in the um, the, un the Phyrexian Unlife deck. Yeah. Adnaz, whatever Ad you want to Adnaz call it. Adnaz and Mill. Yeah. So you'll see it there. So it's like every one of these has a home in Modern and has the ability to, to pop at a moment's notice. They're also not terrible in EDH, and the price tag on these was almost entirely scarcity aside from uh, Black Leaves, which is... Yeah. Why I think you, you made a good call staying away from that one. For you know the twenty, the crisp twenty dollar bill it is for a foil expedition that seems like a slam dunk because these are played. Yeah. Um, these aren't quite strip mines, so they don't have that ubiquity across multiple formats. But if you were to look at the interests for these, they're actually sitting below the medium price across the board. There, and I I think that's incorrect. I think all of these should be worth yeah. thirty plus. So if you have the ability to pick up any of these, I, I definitely would agree. Even even in non-foil, I think it's still worth the full yeah, art. It's for such, sure. such a low-level investment if you don't have your, your set already. Yeah. And, and even if you do, I think that as affordable as these things are, I pick up some more. Yeah. I mean, it, it's at this point, they may go down a little bit. But at least for me, I would be comfortable taking that risk with the non-foils because it's not like these are going to get tanked into the ground. Yeah. I mean, even, even the non-foils aren't going to get reprinted with that art and that frame. We may get them in an EDH deck or if they ever go back to modern event decks for like Pioneer or something, maybe. But we're certainly not going to get those expos again. Oh, no, not, not at all. And if the market holds true and even the average, you're looking at either cents to like maybe $2 difference between... Uh, Scars of Mirrodin non-foil and Expedition non-foil. And I think that yeah. that delta is way too small to not capitalize on right now, especially. So uh, I think it's a, it's a good call all around. And I think we're in, like you said, the, the right time to be looking at these and moving on them. Yeah. Uh, my pick for this week is sticking with uh, EDH Stalwarts and is uh, Gatecrash Cryptgast. So uh, I've been... Love that card. I, I do too. God. I've been impressed that it actually held through the drought that we saw a couple starting a couple of weeks ago in commander and i just kind of waited on it waited on it just watching the price kind of tick up and right now it's card kingdoms buying you know 60 some copies at five dollars a piece and their price on this has been fairly aggressive for a while it's just been climbing since i started tracking this it was 450 originally it's done nothing but go up and over this weekend, you could have actually bought the Commander 2014 printing or the Gatecrash printing of TCG Player and Arbitrage to buy a list for profit. Not a lot, but we're getting there. So that tells us that yeah. this Delta is closing, and eventually, if you're able to buy in low enough, um, you should see profits rather quickly. The The thing I like about Cryptgast is it's it, it shows up in like 8% of decks, according to Rex, so that seems kind of low. But it just goes in so many decks. Like, you look at Rex. It's, yeah. And it's, it's... It's insane. It says mono black, basically. That's all the, all the commanders. But then you look at the new cards, and it's Grixis, it's Jund, it's everything. And Extort is such a powerful keyword that limits where you can print this. They didn't bring Extort back when we went back to Ravnica again. Yeah. So it's very unlikely that we're going to get Extort again. And because the white symbol is in the reminder text for extort, you can play this in your mono black deck. It gets around that. 
I, I think to me this is also one of those cards that is part of like what I call the Cabal Coffer Suite. Yes. If you have a deck you're putting Coffers in, you're putting Urborg in. Yep. You're probably putting Cabal Stronghold in. Uh, and you put this in. Yep. And I think that that's, you know, being an auto-include in like a package is great. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, it ramps, it drains life, it does a lot of things that casual players love. Not to mention it's kind of a green card in black and that it does ramp. Yes. And it's a permanent source of ramp. Yep. So... I mean, it, it appeals to your more casual players. It appears to your battle cruiser and your seventy five percent players. Mm-hmm. You know, where you where you're right below the CEDH line, but you still like doing cool stuff and being powerful. Yeah. And I I think that this is, I've long said that, you know, this is a ten fifteen dollar card if it doesn't get reprinted, which, the foil is still under fifteen, which boggles my mind. Similar to Vicious Shadows, which you had a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I, I don't know how those cards are so affordable yeah, because they're a unique effect that just is incredibly impactful and incredibly powerful. Yeah, I, it's weird. Like, I'm the, the the point to think about this card in, in one way is is weird. I'll bring that up in a moment. But I did actually have that bullet point about Urborg. It's like I said, if you have a list that has Urborg, this is most likely the next card that you actually add to your list as you're building your deck because it is part of that package. It's very important. Now, the thing about Cryptgast is. You look at it and it's a four mana two two, and there are people who probably poo poo it because it's got two toughness. But the thing about that is, in almost every deck this is going to be played, there's going to be a way to recur it. You're not just going to cast Crypt Gas once and just say, "Oh well, there it goes, ho hum." No, you're going to yeah. You'll Volrath Stronghold it back. Um, what's the Highway? Whatever from Mercadian Masks. Yeah. Haunted Highway to just put the creature back on top of your deck like hard reanimated children it doesn't matter you're going to find a way to get this card back it's not just a one and done threat that yeah makes it worthwhile and the other thing that i found kind of interesting is that this is one of the top 25 black cards according to edh rec it sets up gray merchant of asphodel asphodel extremely nicely but gray merchant is like way more played than this card with that i find kind of ridiculous considering what this can do in a long enough game the yeah uh the 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 timeline for this is um probably a little slower than i like it didn't plateau like i mentioned but its growth has been a little too linear for me it still has an upward trajectory and slope but it's been the same slope i for like almost the last two years basically since uh uma hit and i'll see if i can zoom in a little bit yeah ever since uma hit the, the slope has changed and it's basically been the same and that's what kind of worries me about this is that we haven't seen the spike i would expect six years after its last reprint so i'm worried that this is actually going to take maybe closer to nine months to really get going six months at the earliest without it being in any of the commander product this year that's another turning point that i thought we would have seen just another inflection point again it it didn't happen so I really do think this is going to be a slow gainer. So so while nine months isn't that far out, neither is six months, it is just a little worrisome overall that this could stagnate unnecessarily. But at the same time, if it is a slow gainer, that means you can just keep buying in at a fairly low amount because people will either forget or it will move so slowly that the price is going to be the same from week to week. The only thing that I do want to point out is that when you start digging in on uh, the stocks graph for recency, 
the market actually just jumps by like two dollars over the last couple of days yeah but stock has not really begun to dwindle that much so i like the card i like its future i think it's going to be kind of slow going so that is both a benefit and a detractor to this so you know take that as you will but I think it's solid. Yeah. I uh, I also think that even for me, looking at it as like, all right, well, yeah, it's a longer trajectory. This is also one of those cards I'd be car- comfortable like parking in a box and forgetting about. Yep. Until sometime down the line, and I'm like, all right, oh well, here's a box that I don't know what's in it. Great, it's a bunch of money. And I I think that this is even to the point where you could say like, not really investment. But it is something that you can park and know, like, all right, well, if this doesn't get reprinted, it's just going to steadily gain until a point at which I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'll, you know, get rid of it. So yeah. it's it's nice to have something that's a little bit lower maintenance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So. The the closest parallel I have on this card, because I was, I was thinking about it as we were talking, is Blind Obedience. It's one of the other cards with Extort. I don't want to call it a yeah. cycle. It's just a heavy hitter when you look at what it does. Uh, that's been reprinted twice in Commander 2016 and 2017. Uh, original printing in gay crash and you look at the slope on this card and it's much high or much larger than it is for crypt gas and then eventually just kind of you know plateaus coming into zendikar like we saw with everything else but market's finally starting to move again so blind obedience really kind of sets the stage for the fact that you can reprint this card in commander sets and it'll still pick up i like crypt gas more than blind obedience because blind obedience just stonewalls games it slows it down you become the unpopular person you get booted real quick crypt gas has the ability to speed things up so yeah it's a much more uh friendly card for the table i think with that though that is going to do it for us this week and we will catch you guys on the same cabal station at roughly the same cabal time ish yeah and no no double mnf monday night football next week hopefully so yeah no we'll see yeah we got to leave the pack game early because that looked looked like a laugher but oh yeah it's over uh, <laughs> for uh mtg cabalcast but there which you can find on twitter facebook youtube spotify stitcher uh audible soon i am yes at halt i am reptar you are at thirsty sizzler we'll see you guys next week <laughs>